Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. This morning we uh, continued a way what has what we've been uh, preaching on mainly on Sunday mornings the last couple of weeks, and we've come to Acts chapter number seven, and we have been in these days looking at the life of Stephen, uh, God's uh, first uh, deacon called in the, the the life of the New Testament church, the first martyr of the New Testament church, the first person to uh, ever give their life for the cause of Christ and the ministry of the gospel. Uh, Stephen stands out in the Word of God as being a first of uh, many different groups and many different uh, many different uh, categories. And uh, also, as we saw this morning, stands out, and we'll see a little bit tonight as well, he stands out in the sacrifice of his life, given his life for the cause of Christ in martyrdom, in the fact that while he was dying, he gives us a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death upon Calvary, his sacrificial death uh, for the cause of the Lord and by his actions mirroring mirroring the actions of the Lord Jesus that took place in the gospel accounts of the Lord's death. And we talked about some of those things. We may mention a few tonight. And uh, I want to say this this evening. I'm thankful for this passage of Scripture. Uh, There's a lot of things that this Scripture teaches us. And I believe that even though the book of Acts is a book of history and it gives us the history of the nation of Israel... It gives us the history of the New Testament church and the visible local church uh, ministry uh, in uh, the New Testament dispensation. As it gives us here the New Testament, it is the New Testament book of history. It also has great amounts of practicality, practical truth for you and I tonight as we look not just uh, to learn for our mind and our knowledge sake what does the Bible say, but as we look at the scriptures, and, and not only want to know what the Bible says, but why does the Bible say what it says? And in doing so, what does that have to do with me? Amen. And uh, why is it important for me to come to the Scriptures? And it's God's book. And in, in looking at the Word of God that God has given us, He gives us instructions for our lives. Amen. And we find that here in all throughout these verses that we've read uh, in uh, verse number 54 through verse number 60. Uh, tonight's the only night that we're going to be looking at it on uh, Sunday night, and Lord willing, uh, this will be our last message in the series this evening. But we've been looking in particular at a thought that uh, the Lord allowed to jump out at me some time ago in verse number 60, where the Bible said, and he, speaking of Stephen, kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And we've talked about that phrase, and he kneeled down. Uh, It it jumped us into our thought, jumped us into our message as we began to think about how uh, the Bible says that uh, Stephen was not knocked down by the stones that were being hurled at him, but rather that he voluntarily, with, with, with a choice involved, kneeled down in the presence of those that were tormenting him and martyring him. He kneeled down and his life had brought him to his knees. And we began to think about the subject when life brings you to your knees. And I believe the subject we've been looking at in these days is is a good reminder for all of us because uh, I'll be honest with you, this year we've been living in has been unlike anything else. And there have been people all over the world that need to hear uh, what we need to do when life brings us to the point to where we don't know what else to do. When it brings us to a point where we feel like the, 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 the security and the foundation of our lives have been knocked out from underneath us. And preacher, what do we do? What does the Bible say we need to do? We find in Acts 7 a man going through a situation that is worse than anything we've dealt with this year and and, and possibly worse than we will ever deal with in our lives. And he remained faithful to God and you and I can as well. We talked about how it was not the stones that brought Stephen to his knees. 
knees, but it was the events of his life that brought Stephen to his knees, really what we called the path of life that brought Stephen to his knees. Just the typical journey of, of Stephen's life as he, as he served God after his salvation and began to live the life of a Christian to the best of his ability, but yet while he was serving God, his life was still, still brought, the path of his life still brought him to his knees. We talked about how his preaching brought him to his knees. We talked about how his purity brought him to his knees. We talked about how people brought him to his knees. This morning we talked about how Paul brought him to his knees. The fact that his preaching indicates his service. His purity represents a clean life that he was living for God. Uh, people that despite him giving all that he has to reach them with the truth and loving them enough to give them the truth when they need it and to tell them uh, the hope that they must have in order to become more than just a religious group of people but to have a relationship with a God that will save them and take them to heaven to be with him. He tells them that and yet they rebel and it is those people that took up stones to kill him. And we thought about those three things this morning and said that serving God, it doesn't make sense for God to allow your life to come to the place that Stephen's life brought him. Living clean doesn't make sense that it would bring you to that place to where life brings you to your knees. And even people as you try to pour out of you and into others, it just does not make sense why God would allow what happened to Stephen to happen to him while he's serving him and loving him and dedicated himself to him. It doesn't make sense. Until we consider that forethought about that there was a Saul of Tarsus standing in the wings. There was a young man, verse 58, whose name was Saul that was there and witnessed all that was going to take place. And in the sovereign plan of God, God knew Saul of Tarsus would one day, because of Stephen's example, because of his sacrifice, because of him staying faithful to God, would be that in this moment it would begin the conviction, the pricks of conviction that would soften the stone heart, uh, cold heart of Stephen. Uh, Saul and began the road that led to Saul's redemption and him going from being Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee and persecutor of the early church to being Paul the apostle, the preacher to the Gentiles, the apostle of the Gentiles, the one that gave us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and 14 books in our New Testament out of the 27. So we talked talk this morning about the pain, and in these days, these last several services about how the when uh, life brought Stephen to his knees, it was the path of life that brought Stephen to his knees. Tonight, I want us to look at this second thought tonight. Not only did the path of Stephen's life bring him to his knees, but number two, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. I believe not only was it the path of life that brought him to his knees, but in verse 55 and 56, I believe and I'm going to say it this way, I believe that the prince of life brought Stephen to his knees. You may say, preacher, I don't understand what you're talking about, the prince of life. While it was the path of life that brought Stephen to his knees, I also believe that it was the prince of life that brought Stephen to his knees. In Acts chapter number 3 and verse number 13, Peter is preaching. Peter is preaching his second sermon to Israel. Israel in Acts 3.13. And in that sermon, in the middle of that sermon, he calls Jesus the Prince of Life. It is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Life that Stephen has his sights locked upon in verse number 55 and 56. And it is the events of verse 55 and 56 that directly lead to Stephen's voluntary choice to kneel down in verse number 59. Again, the scripture that we've looked at gives no indication that stones knocked Stephen down, but rather that Stephen voluntarily voluntarily knelt 
down. Look at your Bible, verse 55 and 56. The Bible says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Verse 55, the Bible says that he saw Jesus. In verse number 56, the Bible says that he saw Jesus. He is seeing the Prince of Life, the one that Peter called the Prince of Life, that our text calls him the Son of God. Uh, the Bible calls him rather the Son of uh, the Son of Man. Amen. We see that the Scripture points out that it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that God allows in a supernatural way for Stephen to be able to see in this moment as life is uh, the path of life is bringing him to his knees. Before he ever hit his knees, God allowed him to see Jesus. I believe that it is this sight of Jesus that also explains to us why Stephen's life was, uh, would bring him to his knees. And I'll say this this, uh, this evening, amen. You may ask, uh, why would Stephen do that? Why would he voluntarily kneel down? You'd say this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Stephen. They're picking up stones. They're hurling them at him for the distinct purpose of killing him with them. I don't know what you would have done, but if I would have had an inkling that that was what was going to go down, Brother Tommy, I would have got out of there as quick as I could. Amen. And I'll say this, I bet you there's some people in this building that probably run the preacher over trying to get away from him just as well as I would have. Why would Stephen, when they want to kill him and they want to murder him and they want to stone him, it seems like kneeling down's the last thing. Staying put's the last thing that you would expect a man to do. Uh, you would expect him to stay on his feet and get to moving. But instead of moving, he renders himself immobile. He kneels upon his knees and begins to do what I believe to do two things that are initiated by this sight that he saw in this passage. If you study in the Word of God, as I have, this posture that Stephen takes of kneeling, you will find out of the 13 variations of the word kneel that is used in our King James Bible, 12 out of the 13 times it deals with a posture that is being used to do two different actions, praying and worshiping. Now, the, the, the one time out of 13 involves camels coming to drink water, but I, I can't explain that. So don't ask me to explain why out of 13, one of them is just camels kneeling down to drink water and everything else is prayer and worship. I, can't, I didn't study that far, and I, I, I didn't really care enough to study about camels at this time. Amen. I'd much rather study about prayer and worship. Amen. I figured you would too. Amen. Amen. That might be an interesting Wednesday night sermon, though, is why, uh, why the camels are kneeling and all that stuff. Amen. But... Thir 12 out of 13 times, it's not bad odds. 12 out of 13 times, it's not bad odds. And if God's going to say something 13 times and 12 of them, He's going to remind us about prayer and worship, I think He's trying to get our attention. The Bible, when it uses the word kneel, almost every time, or a variation of the word kneel, it's being used to talk about prayer and worship. I'll say this as well this morning, uh, or this evening rather. I believe that when Stephen kneels down, I personally believe that Stephen is engaging in both prayer and worship. I believe that he is engaging in prayer and worship because of the sight 
that God allowed him to see of the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Life, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that it is almost impossible for someone to get a glimpse of what Stephen got a glimpse of and not as a child of God, not be motivated to worship God and to spend time with him in prayer. If you see what Stephen saw, I promise you, you won't be thinking about the ball game. I promise you, you won't be thinking about what time supper is. I promise you won't be wondering uh, about whether or not you paid this bill or that bill. I promise all of the affairs of your life will, will begin to not mean very much at all. If you see what Stephen saw, what you'll be concerned about is worshiping him and spending time with him, talking to him. Amen. Let me back up and say this real quickly before I get too, uh, too much ahead of myself. Can I just remind you that there is going to be a day you haven't seen him through eyes, of faith, or through eyes of flesh yet, but one day our faith will become sight. Our faith that we've trusted in and believed in all of these years since our salvation and all the saints of God down through the generations of uh, Christian history, there will be a day where all of our faith will become sight and we will lay our eyes physically on the Lord Jesus Christ. What Stephen's doing in our text, every one of us that are saved by the grace of God are bound to do this evening. Amen. 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 You're headed this direction one day. I'll say this. I believe that whether you're saved or not, you're headed to this site. Whether you see him in heaven and rejoice and have a time worshiping God in the glory world or if you see him on this side in judgment, you will see this sight that Stephen saw. But it, may, it won't mean as much to you as it meant to Stephen. And you may, you may not be, uh, you, you may not be uh, compelled out of your heart to worship and pray, but you'll still be doing those things. The Bible said that no matter whether you agree to or not, uh, there will be a day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, you'll either bow the knee on this side of the grave to the Lord Jesus Christ or you will bow the knee uh, on the other side of the grave to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll either do it voluntarily on the earth side or you'll be made to do it on the, ju the judgment side. But you'll do it either way. I'll say this tonight as well, and I didn't come here tonight to say this, but I will say this tonight as well. I'd much rather do it on the earth side. Yep. Amen. Amen. And when I get to when I get to heaven, that'll be like my, my experience will be like Stephen's, where the heavens will open for me, and I'll walk into that fair land that's fairer than day, and I'll see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, and I'll spend all of eternity spending time with him, worshiping him, spending as much time with him as possible, talking to him, worshiping him, glorifying him, saying hallelujah be to God and give him praise and worship for all of eternity. Amen. You'll do it on one side or the other. I want to do it on this side so that I can do what Stephen did on the other side and enjoy it a whole lot more. Amen. But it, but it indicates prayer and worship. Prayer and worship, I believe, as we, uh, as we look at this text this, this evening, I want to mention some things about prayer and worship uh, in this passage, that as he kneels down, uh, that he is prayerful, that he is worshipful in this, uh, in this passage. And I want to give you a couple of reasons why prayer and worship are a result of what we're seeing taking place in the scriptures. I believe, number one, prayer and worship are a result in our text, number one, of a sight unlike any other sight that Stephen has ever seen. When the, the prince of life brings him to his knees because what he's seeing, there is nothing else in life that he has ever experienced that will compare to this moment. And out of a heart of love for his Savior, as he sees the Lord Jesus Christ, he cannot help but kneel in worship he can, as an expression of worship, and he cannot help but kneel as an expression of prayerfulness in this passage. A sight unlike any sight he'd ever seen. Look at verse 55. We see that the scripture tells us what he saw. Verse 55, we just read it a minute ago, but we'll read it again. The Bible said, but he being full of the Holy Ghost. By the way, can I say this? It pays to be full of the Holy Ghost. 
If you get full of the Holy Ghost, you might just see things that nobody else gets to see. You might just experience things with God and your relationship with God that others don't get to have. I'm not saying that you're going to see Jesus with eyes of faith. Well, I think we've already dealt with that both services today. But what I will say is, is there will be parts of your relationship with God that others who claim the name of Christ, that still they may be saved, they may have repented, but they're not full of God in the way they live, and they don't let God direct their life, which is what being full of the Spirit of God is, being so full of God and letting Him uh, fill you to the point to where He directs every part of your life. If, you, if, you, if you're saved but you're not full of the Holy Ghost of God, in that sense, you probably won't see a lot of these things that other Christians are seeing. And you'll see, you'll look at other Christians that are walking with God and full of the Holy Ghost, and you'll say, why can't I have that with God? The Bible said he saw what he saw, and it began with his being full of the Holy Ghost. If you want, if you want to experience what other great saints have gone in the past that have been full of God get to experience, you've got to, make, you've got to have what they have. Not only salvation, but you've got to be full of the Spirit. You've got, to have a, you've got to have a walk with the Spirit of God. Amen. We see the Bible tells us, the, the Scriptures tell us what Stephen saw. He being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven. Notice what he saw. The glory of God. I don't know about you, but I want to see God's glory. Amen. Amen. I want to see God and I want to see God's glory in the in, in the heavenlies. But you do realize that the Bible talks about Moses saying, uh, or excuse me, the, the psalmist saying uh, that he wanted to see God's glory in the sanctuary. He said, I want to show, see thy glory as I've seen it in the sanctuary. This is a place where we can see the glory of God. Right. Amen. And we have seen the glory of God within in, in, on these grounds before. Amen. We've seen them many times over the last uh, several years. And the church, no doubt, before I came along, has been years seeing the glory of God and God move in manifested power on these grounds. Amen. I want my life to be in such a way where I will see and experience the glory of God in my life. I would hate to, I would hate to the first time that I see God's glory present in my life is when I'm about to make the crossing. Amen. He said that he saw the glory of God. What a blessing it would be to see God's glory. Amen. And then notice this. He said and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I would say that God's given him a sight unlike any other sight anybody's ever seen. Amen. The scripture tells us what he saw in verse 55, but then I also want to say this in verse 56, Stephen, the scripture tells us what Stephen saw in verse 55. In verse 56, Stephen tells them, he tells this crowd that he's preaching to what he's seeing in verse 56. He, he, he saw it. And then he announced what he saw, verse 56. The Bible said that Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That phrase, that first phrase is interesting to me, the heavens opened. Because if you look at verse 55, it says that he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand. Verse 56, he talks about seeing Jesus on the right hand, but he doesn't mention anything about the glory of God. I wonder if it could be that part of the glory of God that he saw was when the heavens opened. I believe there's a connection here between the glory of God and the heavens opening. I believe that Stephen is using the heavens opening to talk about the glory of God that he saw. I don't believe that Stephen could put into words the glory that he saw. The scripture tells us that he saw glory when he tried to verbalize what he saw. He said, I see the heavens open. All that the heavens consist of, I don't think that he could tell us of it. Amen. I, I think about what Paul, what the Bible talks about Paul and how there was things when he was in the third heaven that he couldn't even talk about. That it wasn't lawful for him uh, to utter. He, he simply says, it's not lawful for me to utter. I can't say it. I can't describe it. I can't tell you about it. I believe that's what Stephen said. He said, I just saw the heavens open. All that heaven is is a, is a reflection of the glory of God. I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be glory everywhere. Amen. Everywhere we go is going to give glory to God. Everything we see will give glory to God. Every sound we hear will give glory to God. All that heaven is will be uh, uh, the glory of God on a full display. Amen. I don't even believe we could handle it if we could see it. Amen. 
I, not only could we not explain it, I don't think our bodies could take it. I don't think our minds could fathom it. And I think that's one of the things that's going to really make heaven heaven. And I'm telling you, I think that's one of the things that you and I ought to be thankful for. That there is, we, we can describe pretty much anything in this life. There's a lot of things we'll see that will take our breath away, but you can at least make an attempt to describe it. If in, in the scriptures, as the Holy Ghost begins to unveil about what's taking place over uh, beyond that blue veil in the third heaven, amen, when the scripture doesn't take a whole lot uh, of time to try to describe it to us, I believe the reason is, is because, again, as I've told you before, this Bible does not tell us all that God knows, but it tells, tells us all he wants us to know. I think if he gave us a description of that sitting, of that land, we wouldn't be able to understand what we're reading. So we don't find very much about it. It's just glory. Amen. It's just God's glory all over the place. And I think that's what he's saying here in, the, in these two verses. Amen. It's a sight unlike any other sight he'd ever seen. The scriptures tells us what Stephen saw, and Stephen told them what he saw. Amen. In verse 58, <coughs> think about this. <clears throat> I was reading over some of these things this afternoon, and God let verse 58 jump out at me. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, and it talks about this crowd, it says verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears, they ran upon him in one accord. Isn't that interesting, by the way? Verse 57, one accord. It's hard to get Christians in one accord to do good. It's hard to get people in one accord to do right. But when it comes time to do wrong, it's easy to get them in one accord. Amen. The Bible says they were in one accord. Amen. It's sad that what we need in our Baptist churches is what this crowd of murderers had uh, in, in their sin. Amen. They were in one accord. Verse 58. By the way, that's free tonight. Amen. I just saw that as we were reading through. Amen. Verse 58. The Bible said, and that crowd, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In verse 58, the Bible said that they took him out of the city to stone him. In verse 59, it gives us more clarification of what took place while they were stoning him. This is not a contradiction in the events that's taking place. It's not, it's not an incorrect timeline of the events. It is just that verse 59 is giving clarification as to what happened in verse number 58. Verse 58 tells us something interesting, though. They took him out of the city to stone him. So if, if, if I've read my Bible correctly and I've studied this passage correctly, I find it interesting that before he kneels down, he's already seen this sight that's any other, unlike any other sight he's ever seen. He sees the Lord Jesus at the right hand of God. He sees the glory of God. He has this great vision that God has given him in verse 55 and 56. And after he sees that and tells them what he sees, they take him out out of the city to stone him. And then it is after he's out of the city and being stoned that the Bible gives us the rest of this passage in verse 55 about him being stoned, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And verse 60 about him kneeling down. He saw what he saw, was led out of the city, and then as he was being stoned, kneeled down as they were stoning him. Here's the thought that I wanted to mention that it's amazing to me that as they removed Stephen from the city that, uh, that, he, that he saw the original sighting in, that it did, that him being removed from the city did not stop what he was seeing. I believe with, with all of my heart that the vision of Christ that he had did not stop when he was led out of the city. I believe when he prays, he is, he is taught, as he spoke to the Lord in the previous verses, I believe that he is praying in a face-to-face -face manner with the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 59 and 60. I don't believe the Lord turned off this great vision that he allowed Stephen to tap into. I don't think that he stopped letting uh, Stephen see his glory just because they led him out of the city to stone him. I believe that the same Stephen that's looking up steadfastly into heaven, verse 55, is still looking up steadfastly into heaven in verse 59 and 60. 
I think it's interesting that in verse 59 and 60 uh, that, that even though they moved him, it did not stop this great vision that he sees of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I repeat, I believe that this is a vision in the, unlike any other vision he's ever seen. I've never had a, a vision of something in my life that followed me where I went. But for Stephen, God, I believe, allowed this. And what an amazing thing it is. And I believe that uh, when, when, you, uh, when you begin to see Jesus like you've never seen him before, as Stephen did, and, and as we think about these things, about this vision God has given him, there's two things that uh, will be brought into our lives when we see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before. And it'll be a pickup in our prayer life. And it'll be a pickup in our worship life. You will increase those two areas in your life exponentially if you truly see Jesus like you've never seen him before. More than just a good teacher. More than just the subject of last week's Sunday school lesson. More than just who we talk about in church. More than just someone we pray to and talk to hoping uh, to get uh, things from that we cannot get ourselves. More than just a spare tire when we pray. More than just a genie in a bottle when we pray that we want to rub on and ask our three wishes from and then go about our life living like he does not exist. No, if you see Jesus for who he is and God lets you truly see who he is. You let, he, you let God show you that he is the son of God, that he is the Lord, that he is the high and lofty one. Amen. You see him in a different light than the most of the world and most of the church looks at Jesus and he gets real to you. You'll pick up on your prayer life. You'll pick up on your worship life because he'll mean more to you. You'll want to spend more time with him and you'll want to tell him exactly what he's worth. By the way, you know that is what worship is. It's worth-ship. It's you letting Jesus know, you letting God know how much he is worth to you. If you never pray to him, you're, not let, you're letting him know that you're not interested in spending time with him. You're letting him know that you don't care what his opinion is and you're doing a right well on your own in your life. You don't spend any time worshiping him. You're letting him know that he's not worth very much to you. Amen. By the way, worship, as I've said this to you before, I believe Genesis 22 teaches us probably greater than any other passage of Scripture. The very first time you find the word worship in the Bible is where you find Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Worship will cost you something. There will be a sacrifice involved to worship. That's why most believers don't worship. We don't want to give up anything. We don't, want to sacri we don't want to sacrifice any part of our life. We don't want to give up our sin. We don't want to give up the way that we're living. We don't want to give up the world's attachment to us and our love for the things of the world. We don't want to give up our extra hour of sleep. We don't want to give up our pride. Amen. We don't want to be embarrassed if we do raise a hand, if we do say amen, if we do worship the Lord. Amen. If we do praise the Lord. Amen. There's some aspects of your praise that you won't be able to do quietly. Amen. And you'll have to embarrass your flesh. Dr. Sammy Allen used to make this statement. He said, he said, if anybody's never accused you of taking it too far, you've, you're not really where you need to be with the Lord. He said, if you've never embarrassed yourself in worship, you've never really worshiped. It's going to cost you something. Here, I believe that this sacrifice points us to the fact that Stephen truly is being given an opportunity to worship God in a way he's never worshipped before. To spend time in prayer in a way that he's never been able to do before. Amen. Even being moved from one place to another by wicked hands, nonetheless, that did not stop Stephen from voluntarily kneeling down in worship and prayer to the God that he loved and the God that was allowing him to see what he had never seen before. Number two, not only... Do I believe that we see that prayer and worship is a result of a sight unlike any other sight Stephen had ever seen? Number two, I want to say this. I believe that prayer and worship is a result of a saint responding like Christ in trouble. I told you I was going to take you back for a few minutes tonight to the aspect of this passage where we do see Christ's likeness in Stephen's life. Real quickly, I want to say this. <clears throat> 
you think about the fact that Stephen's being persecuted. I already mentioned this morning about how he was a Jew just like these groups of Jews that were killing him. They were part of the same physical line. They were, so they were part of the same uh, bloodline, if you will, the same race, if you will. And he was a Jew just like they were. That meant that just like Jesus, Stephen came unto his own and his own received him not. I think about what the Bible says here as he prayed, as they, as they killed him and he gave his life uh, for those just for their redemption. I believe we see Jesus in that. But as he is being stoned, we see in verse number 59, he's calling upon God. And notice what he says. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Isn't that interesting? I don't know when the last time you studied Jesus' seven sayings from the cross, but one of his seven sayings from the cross was he called upon God, and as he was talking to his Father, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Here's the difference between our Savior and Stephen. He could not commend his spirit to God because he had no ability to dismiss his spirit like Jesus, the Son of God, and God manifest in the flesh could do. He doesn't say, that, he doesn't say I commend my spirit as Jesus did. He asked the Lord to receive his spirit while at the same time it's still a mirror of the life and death of Jesus. We see in verse number 60 that prayer that he prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He represents Jesus in the fact that Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's mirroring Christ in that Stephen in this passage is in death. He is still representing his Lord to a T and in the right way. I hope and pray that God, even in my death, will allow me to represent Christ in a great way. And we think about it being trouble that caused Stephen to be brought to the point of death and how it was hard times. It was a trial. It was people wanting to kill him for the cause of Christ, becoming the first Christian martyr that brought him to this place. You would think in his flesh that he would have responded much differently than this. But while at the same time we see a saint of God not responding as a human does in flesh and following flesh. He's not operating in the flesh here. He's a saint of God. And while still fallible, he is letting the Lord direct even his words and his actions as one full of the Spirit of God. He responds to trouble like Jesus it. This evening, this morning rather, we talked about uh, how a lost soul might see Christ in us through our actions when we are going through a trial. How a lost soul, uh, how a lost soul uh, can see us living for God and, and God will use that to soften their heart that they might be saved. We talked about uh, that Christ-likeness in that aspect this morning. But let me say this tonight. I believe that a lost soul will never be shown your love and devotion to Christ even in days of trouble than they will in your continuing to pray and continuing to worship God despite the trial. <clears throat> you see, prayer and worship are two things that our flesh despises to do. I hope I'm not the only one in here that has to force yourself to pray at times. Don't look at me so super spiritual. You know I'm telling the truth. You don't always feel like praying. When you don't feel like praying, you know what you need to do? Pray. I'll say this, I come to church three times a week or more, just like I hope most of you do, amen, and I'll be honest with you, when I come into church and if I've had a bad week or whatever, I may not feel like worshiping, but you know what I do? Worship anyway, amen. I've heard it said before, uh, you can worship God when you feel like it, and when you don't feel like it, my pastor used to tell us, just worship him on credit. Because he's worthy of it anyway. When you don't feel like saying amen, say it a little bit louder than you normally do. 
When you don't feel like praying, when you don't feel like praying, pray just a little bit longer than you normally do. To let God know that you may not feel like it and your flesh may not feel like it, but you're letting him know that he is worthy of it despite how you feel that he has not changed even though your feelings have changed, amen, and his worthiness of you spending time with him and loving him and adoring him and worshiping him although your emotions has changed, thank God he has not changed and therefore he's still worth all of the prayer and he's worth all of the worship that he is when we do feel like it. Amen. I'm thankful for times that I do feel like it. Amen. And we ought not to, we ought not to, uh, to, to uh, uh, neglect those times that we do feel like it. Amen. If you feel like praying, pray for two hours because you feel like it. When you don't feel like it, still pray. You know why? Because number one, God's worthy of any moment that you'll spend with Him in prayer. My pastor used to tell us this. He used to say, not one moment has ever been wasted in prayer. You can come into church, you can have too much preaching. You can have too much singing. You can have too much of anything. You can have too many prayer requests. You can have, you can have too many testimonies. But there's one thing you'll never have. You'll never have too much prayer. Not one second's ever been wasted in prayer. If we came in here every Wednesday night for our prayer meetings and all we ever did was just meet around the altar and pray for an hour, guess what? You didn't waste a moment of your week. A carnal Christian would say, all we did was pray. I didn't hear any preaching. If, if, if you happen to hear preaching to feel good about church, then you've got a problem. Amen. I hope that the gauge on how good a church service went for you is not how good the preaching was. Because I can promise you this, and, 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 and I don't need anybody to say anything to me after the service. I'm not being down on myself, but I will say this. Honestly, there are preachers that will preach better than me. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say. He said, there's many preachers that can preach better than I can, but they can't preach a better gospel than I can. Because the gospel's the same. Amen. I like what one preacher said too. He said, "You said you may be able to preach, but he said there are preachers who may be able to preach it better than me." Amen. But they will not be able to. They will not be able. They they don't like preaching more than I like preaching. I feel both ways. But there'll be preachers that'll come in this church that'll preach circles around me, and I'm not. Be, I'm not trying to be overly humble. I mean that. There's pre I'm telling you, God's got men all over this country who can preach, and they can preach the they can preach the word of God, and I'm glad to hear them, and I love hearing them, Amen. But I'm telling you, if your if your hope is in me, or even in those other preachers to have a good service, we're still uh, the best of men are still men at best, and you will be disappointed every time. But if you spend your if you spend your service not talking to me, not talking to each other, but if you spend the service talking to Jesus, one thing you'll not be is disappointed in how the service ends up. You can have too much of anything, but you cannot have too much prayer. I believe when the trials of life turn the heat on the Christian, even though we may not feel like praying, even though we may not feel like worshiping, one way that we can let the world, the lost world, know that we love Jesus and we adore Him and He's made a change in our life is not stopping those things because it gets hard. Stephen didn't stop because it got hard. I've never had my life get this hard. And sadly to say, there's been times in my life where, I have, where I've let the affairs of my life, the events of my life, the path of my life, that my life's on, what, 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 what comes into the, my days, stop me from praying and worshiping like I should. And if you'd be honest with yourself, I know y'all are probably better Christians than I am, but if you're honest with yourself, you have to. But here we find someone full of the Holy Ghost that even at the, even at the worst that life could get, he's facing death and he has not lost his, his heart of worship, and he has not lost his prayer life. Amen. You think, you think about what the Bible says about prayer and worship. This posture of kneeling tells us of both. And amen. Thank God Stephen was still kneeling. He made a choice to kneel. 
he could have quit and stopped and become the victim and had a knocked down mentality. That the stones knocked him down and that they, he, was, he was down for the count and done. But instead of running away, he accepted this as the will of God for his life. And when God gave him the vision of the Son of God, he opened up the heavens and allowed him to peek inside. What he saw motivated him to not run away. Because to run away means that he'd have to take his eyes off of what he saw. If you notice, the Bible said that they took him out of the city. He didn't leave the city. I think Stephen would have been just as happy to stand there and to look at Jesus no matter what they did. He chose to kneel down. He chose to stay looking up. He chose to assume a position of worship and prayer and just the sight of Jesus motivated that in him. Here's what I'm afraid of in this day and hour that we're living in. A glimpse of Jesus motivated Stephen to pray and to worship. I, I personally believe that there would be some Christians, there may be Christians in this building that Jesus could walk down the center aisle of this church and you're so backward on God it probably wouldn't faze you much. You think about some of the services we've had where God just moved in a great way. And I promise you, there's some people that you see others shouting, you see others praising the Lord, you see others filling up the altar with puddles of tears, you see God working on hearts and moving, Amen. you see people praying, you see people worshiping, and you sit there and saying, well, I just don't feel what they're feeling. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what, what's going on with them, but, but that, that, and here, here's what we say. Well, they, they, they must be, that must be a show of the flesh. That must be them, uh, th that must be them just showing out and trying to, be a, trying to be a big bad Christian, trying to be uh, someone that's in, you know, impressive. Maybe they want to impress somebody down at the church or whatever. They're just faking it. No. It's not always that they're faking it, friend. It could be that they're spending time with God, and they 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 they're, they've spent their time seeing Jesus. And when God gives, when God reveals Himself to them, even if it's in the stillness of their heart, there are some people that just a glimpse of the Prince of Life will bring them to their knees in worship and prayer. Can I tell you this this evening? I don't think that any of us should let uh, what, go, what go the trials and the tribulations of life cause us to stop praying, cause us to stop worshiping. Amen. I think that when it gets harder and when, the, when life gets tougher and when the trials seem to be insurmountable, we ought to let those trials drive us to our knees, not, in, not without hope and not in surrender, but we ought to let those trials bring us to our knees in prayer and in worship to God to a God that's worthy and by the way if you let those situations drive you to your knees in prayer you'll be able to talk to the one that can change things for you the only one that can change things for you and you can worship him on credit for what he is going to do and guess what I believe you'll see God change things for you if you'll do that yeah. Amen. I said as I announced this next thought the saint that is responding in a uh, is responding like Christ to trouble. Can I tell you this just as we kind of land this thing and finish up tonight? Can I tell you that what Stephen did here in choosing to kneel down despite the trouble, to kneel down in, in prayer? By the way, you can't tell me he's not praying here. He prays throughout the rest of the chapter. I believe worship's implied by what he says when he prays and his honoring words to the Lord when he prays. By the way, if you, if you can, can, I'd love to see someone try to convince me, someone willing to give their life for the, for the cause of their God. It's not worshiping him. Amen. If you get to that point, you, you think that he's worth that sacrifice. I believe him being there, being stoned, was an act of worship for the Lord. He's saying, God, you're worthy of this. You're worthy of me giving up my life, laying down my life for your cause and your ministry. But I believe that 
we see that kneeling down, voluntarily kneeling down in act of prayer and worship is something that's truly Christ-like. Go with me real quickly to John 18. This will be the last passage we look at this evening. John 18. John 18. I'll read a verse here. In John chapter number 18, of course, this is in the gospel, is a gospel account of the life of the Lord Jesus. In Acts, to eight, uh, Acts 18, the Bible said when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. If you, if you stop here, this one verse tells us that he entered into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. It does not tell us much about uh, really anything about what takes place in that garden, although other New Testament Gospels accounts do. We know that Jesus goes to the garden. We know that he prays. We know that when he prays, he sweats great drops of blood. And if you study those verses, I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight. The words that he uses for his Lord, to his Lord, are words of worship. Before he goes in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he prays in John chapter number 17 an entire chapter of words of the prayer of the Lord Jesus to his Father in heaven. And all he does in John 17 is worship his Father. That's all he does. He prays for his disciples as he is about to leave, as he is about to be betrayed. After he goes uh, through uh, the time in the garden, the, he, that is when he uh, is betrayed by Judas Iscariot, when he is arrested, and he is on the path toward the cross beginning at that moment. Facing death. The Lord Jesus went to a garden to pray after he had just spent time praying and worshiping his father in John 17. He goes in the garden to pray and to worship the last act before he begins on a road to physical destruction was to pray and to worship. He did not let a trial in his life stop him from praying and worshiping. Stephen did it because Stephen did it because his Savior did it and you and I should not as well. Amen. Christ is our greatest example and as our greatest example he shows us how when the hard times come when persecutions come when life brings us to our knees listen to me tonight when life brings you to your knees remember this that life when it brings you to your knees has brought you to the best place to worship from and to pray from have you ever thought about that? When life brings you to your knees and you're on your knees, the events that brought you there may not have been the best events, may not have been the best of circumstances, but they did bring you to the best place to pray and to worship. God may let you go through what you're going through, not just because there are some souls that need to look at you and be, become born again and get saved because of the testimony of your life, but it very well could be that God is letting you go through what you go through because you have not assumed this position enough. If it wasn't for the trials of our life, very few of us would ever pray. And if it was not for God delivering us out of troublesome times, very few of us would ever worship. But a God that created us for His glory and a God that created us to worship Him, amen, very well may have to if you're sinful enough and you're rebellious enough and you're stubborn enough to want to go your own way, there might be times God has to bring something to your life that will bring you to your knees because you'll never choose to go there on your own. The Prince of Life brought Stephen to his knees. He was, a, think about this, he was able to die on his knees because God brought him there. I don't know about you, but when I leave this world, I'd much rather leave praying and I'd much rather leave worshiping than doing anything else in this world. It wasn't the best of circumstances that brought him there, but once Stephen got there, God let him check out on top. He didn't leave this world in rebellion. 
He didn't leave this world in sin. He didn't leave this world living wickedly. He was able to slip off into glory, praying and worshiping. Sometimes the worst days of your life will end up being the best days of your life. Sometimes the events that you don't understand, God's working good in all of those things. Amen. The Bible, the Bible says that He's working all things for, uh, for, 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 for His glory. Amen. And that may be just what He's doing in your life. He may bring you there so He'll get glory out of your life. And your life will end up better because of the trial than it would have if the trial never came. So when the trials come, don't give up on your prayer life. Don't give up on worshiping. Consider that God may just be just giving you a special opportunity to meet with Him. Make sure you choose in the circumstances that are dealt with you to respond as Christ would and as Stephen did to those circumstances respond the right way. Pastor Barry Rackley said, you may not be able to choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your condition. You may not be able to choose what comes into your life, but you can choose how you respond to what comes into your life, whether you're going to respond with flesh or whether you're going to respond like Christ in faith. Let me ask you tonight, how's your prayer life? How's your worship life? God may be allowing you tonight to see that God may be orchestrating your life so you'll come to a place of prayer and worship. And you may have been some time since you spent quality time in prayer. Maybe some time since you spent quality time in worship of the Lord. God may be giving you just an opportunity with what's going on now to have a reason charging you to, uh, to assume those activities again and to meet with God again. He may be giving you an opportunity to meet with Him in a way that you have not in a long time. The path of Stephen's life brought him to his knees. The prince of life brought him to his knees. Lastly, I'd say the providence of life brought Stephen to his knees. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? You see, Brother William, I'm going to borrow your Bible. Okay. There's a big God in heaven that knew even when Stephen didn't know in that moment that what Stephen was going through was going to become scripture one day. He's a providential God. He's a sovereign God. He sees the end from the beginning, and he knew that this was not just going to be a moment of martyrdom. This was not just going to be an event that would be erased off of the scene of history. By, by the way, there's a lot of events in history that have soon become erased. You, you think about what some of you, some of you folks learned in your history books. They don't teach them in out. They didn't teach them in mind, and they're definitely not going to teach them to these kids unless we're careful and training them. They'll, they'll erase events. They don't. They don't erase the fact that they happen, but they'll erase the fact that you can read about them and know them. This event here. I think one of the reasons why God allowed Stephen to life to bring him to his knees is because God knew that it was going to make it in the pages of a King James Bible and you and I would be able you and I would be able to open up the scriptures as we've done these last several weeks and glean from the life of Stephen and find help that we need in our storms when life brings us to our knees. God's using Stephen as an example to generation after generation after generation after generation of people who will open up that King James Bible and read about the life of Stephen, read about the ministry of Stephen, read about the death of Stephen, and God can begin to speak to their heart. Think about all of the Christians down through the years that have received help from this passage. Brother Lewis, you think that was an accident? I don't. It was the providential hand of God making this happen so it'd be put in Scripture because God knew it belonged there. Stephen didn't, Stephen didn't live the way he did because he knew it was going to make it in God's Bible, but God did. The reason why God brought Stephen to his knees was because of the path of life that God was wanting to use the events of his life, all of those things working together we talked about so that God could get the most glory from it, that Stephen could be an example to us about when all of life brings you to a place where there's nothing else left. Don't stop praying. Don't stop worshiping. God will turn the bad for good. God will do to take what the world meant for men for evil 
and let it be good, amen, and work all things together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. The prince of life, the sight of God, uh, brought Stephen to his knees in prayer and worship, and it ought to do the same for us. And in the providence of life, amen. God knows best. That's what providence truly means. That's what God's sovereignty really means. It means that you and I don't know best, but it means that God does know best. And in knowing best, God made sure that what he did for Stephen didn't just affect Saul, but it could affect every person in this building tonight. And I could preach this truth to you in these days, and you could get some help from it. Can I say this? Stephen paid a price for whatever God spoke to you in these days. God did that for Stephen, to Stephen, so God could do for you what he's been doing in these services. I thank God for the life and ministry of Stephen. I thank God for the providence of God and for how he, he works all things together so that you and I can be the benefactors of his divine mercy and grace upon us. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,